It's time to get inside the Giants huddle. Let's go, let's go, let's go. On Giants.com. I like it, I like it, I like it. And the Giants mobile app. Boom. Give me some juice. Part of the Giants podcast network. Let's roll. Welcome to another edition of the Giants huddle podcast brought to you by Citizens, the official bank of the New York Giants. I am John Schmelk. Busy Friday program with you today. Lance Meadow will speak with Dave Wyman. He's the radio analyst for the Seahawks. We'll go in-depth on Seattle. We'll close the show with Bob Papa talking to the head coach of the Giants, Brian Dable. But first, my interview with Giants linebacker Micah McFadden. And now we're joined by Giants linebacker Micah McFadden. Micah, how are you, man? Doing good. Doing good. All right, let's look back a little bit. When you took a look back, besides the team, let's talk about you personally first at the tape against San Francisco. What did you see? Um... You know, I overall, I think uh, defensively we played hard. Um, a lot of guys flying around the field. Definitely a physical matchup against a team like that. Um, but, yeah, I think, I think you know, there's a lot of things to improve moving forward, but um, definitely showed some good things in that film. Yeah, I think you did too. You were in the backfield a lot. You had four tackles for loss in the game. Your five tackles for loss is tied for second most in the league, right? Mm-hmm. Why do you think you were able to, to knife your way into the backfield as, as much as you did? Um, you know, I think we just had a good plan for it that week. I think, um, you know, it was a big emphasis throughout the week, just attack the line of scrimmage. And, you know, obviously it being a short week, we didn't get a lot of time to uh, rep that. But, um, you know, I think it just showed up in the game. And, you know, being able to pull the trigger, uh, you know, it was good to take advantage of those opportunities. How much is that? How much of that is tape study during the week and understanding how they're trying to attack you so you can be in the right place at the right time? Uh, a lot of it, for sure. Um, I think, you know, that comes from the coaches down to the players and, um, you know, them studying the film and us obviously um, watching it as well and just seeing what we can diagnose and, and where we can attack them and, and be able to make plays that set, set us up for good position. This is me trying to understand growth from rookie year to second year, right? Could you have done that last year? Were you, like, advanced well enough mentally in understanding the game as a pro to be in those positions to make those kind of plays when you were a rookie? Um, I think... You know, I definitely had the opportunities to, and they definitely presented themselves. I just don't think, um, personally, I don't think I was advanced enough just to know that, um, you know, and be able to have that quick trigger because it really is a split second decision once you're out there on the field. If you don't, you know, if you don't make that move, you know, right when the opportunity comes, you know, the the window closes. So, um, yeah, I think it's definitely that experience. How much of it is confidence too? Where maybe as a rookie you saw it and you you thought you knew it but you maybe didn't have the confidence to commit to your point in that kind of quick period of time. Without a doubt. I think a lot of it's confidence and just kind of understanding where I fit in the defense and, and being able to react and play fast and, and you know, know I got, have guys playing off of me and, you know, I'm covered up and just, you know, pulling the trigger. Is that the where you think you've made the biggest jump from, from year one to year two, kind of now that we're three games in and you've gotten so much playing time? Yeah, um, without a doubt. I think, you know, the experience and just having that year under my belt um, and, you know, obviously just the off season and training camp and, and getting back in the role of things. And, um, yeah, I think it's helped a lot. Yeah, and like you said, a lot of good stuff on tape, but I'm sure there were some plays where you're like, oh, I was there. I could have had maybe two or three more yep. those tackles for loss, right? No, without a doubt. And that's kind of, you know, the motivation week to week. There's going to be good things, and there's always going to be things that, you know, you can correct and get better at. So um, definitely exciting that there's more plays left out. You talked about this when you spoke to the media on the Zoom call on Monday team has had some missed tackles uh, this year. You had pre- fully padded practice. We're talking on Wednesday this week, which is Team Wednesday is actually Thursday. It's confusing mm-hmm. with this Monday game. No. Everything's switched up. How do you guys, during the season, when you're not doing a lot of the full contact training camp type practices, work on tackling in a fully padded practice like you had today? Yeah, I mean, it's just a you know more of an emphasis. So today, you know, Dave's, Dave's told us we're thudding today. So that just means... 
you know, defensively, we have to wrap yeah. and, you know, keep wrapping until everybody gets to the ball and uh, second guy in, go for the ball. But, you know, it's just thinking about it a little more, putting a focus on it in practice and, and trying to get better at it. Now, that's the individual part of it, right? From a team part of it, how much of it is just getting more hats to the football so you don't have to rely on a solo tackle to get a guy, you know, it's tough to solo tackle Christian McCaffrey and Debo Samuel. There's a reason those guys are all pros, right? Without a doubt, yeah. And, you know, like you said, it's guys running to the ball and, and maybe not just assuming that that guy's going to make the play, you know, sprinting, sprinting all the way there. And then, you know, if that guy happens to ma- not make it, you're right there in position to, to make a play on it. Overall, the run defense in terms of yards per carry is kind of in the middle of the league, but I think in the first halves of some of these games, against San Fran and Arizona specifically, you guys have allowed some bigger runs, right? When you look at it from a team perspective, what are some of the things that you guys can do better besides being more sure in the tackling to try to prevent some of those issues stopping the run that you've had in the first halves of these games? Yeah, you know, I mean, obviously early in games, there's usually a lot of game plan stuff and, you know, teams prepare specifically, um, you know, for the opponent. So um, I think it's just about, you know, weathering that storm early and, and, you know, trying to get off the field as best we can early in the game so we can get settled in and, and kind of see what they have, uh, you know, built up for us. And then as the game progresses, um, you know, keep playing fast, keep playing strong, and then, you know, just get off the field when you have the, the opportunity. Sacks are an easy number to look at, but it's a it's a team stat, right? You right. know, I've seen Dexter win a dozen matchups against a defensive line an offensive lineman this year, but the ball's out before he can get there, right? So he wins, he does everything he could, but the sack doesn't come. So as a team, what can you guys do to try to turn some of those wins up front and pressures into sacks? Yeah, I think it's, um, you know, I think it's for us specifically as linebackers, just kind of getting in those windows a little bit more. That's definitely been a focus for us and and getting depth in our drops and being able to uh, get in that quarterback's window and and his throwing vision. And then, you know, obviously, like we said, you know, the pressure is going to get there and, and we can make plays that way. But I think it's just, you know, collectively, you know, kind of, Tighten up all the little the little details and and correcting the little things and and you know that'll lead to us making big plays on the field. Same type of theory for for getting takeaways as well. You just got to keep doing what you're doing and they'll come. No doubt, yeah. Um, obviously, you know you want to put a major focus on it and that's punching at the ball or you know sprinting to the ball for tips and overthrows or sure. um, you know just trying to get trying to get around the ball that creates those type of opportunities. So continue to do that. And that works hand in hand for getting around the ball for tackles, right? So I guess that just getting more bodies to the ball is is kind of a big deal. But at the same time, is there a worry if you're trying to punch out the ball? Maybe you're not getting the guy down as quick. So is there a balance there between trying to get the ball out and trying to secure the tackle? Without a doubt. Without a doubt. I think, you know, something we say is first guy make the tackle, second guy get the ball. So, yeah, makes sense. Um, you know, you, you obviously <laughs> first mission is get the guy on the ground. Second, second objective is get that ball out. All right, let's uh, talk about the Seahawks here coming up. Really explosive offense. What are the, some of the things that stood out to you when you watched their offense on tape this week? Yeah, no. Um, you know, they definitely got a lot of good players over there. Um, you know, guys can – you know, hit home run just for him on on the outside, and then obviously they got a really good back and and Kenneth Walker. Yeah, so too good, um, and yeah. Charbonnet's not bad either. No, by he's the way. he's definitely runs really hard, and you know all those things we were just talking about are, are going to come into play this week for sure. Getting guys to the ball and and getting you know really good running backs on the ground. So I think first and foremost, it stopped the run, and then you know obviously get ready for everything else after that. So let's talk about the running backs quick because I think Kenneth Walker is really unique. They'll design a run to go somewhere. He doesn't always take it that way. Yeah. He'll he'll kind of hunt and pack. He'll he'll bounce a lot of stuff. So as a linebacker, how do you kind of adjust to what you're doing when you're playing a running back that you know maybe isn't that one step and go hit the design hole type of runner, but is instead maybe going to try to find his own room on a play in a more creative way? 
Yeah, um, you know, I had the opportunity to play against this guy in college as well, and you know, he's always kind of been that um, that you know sneaky get outside back and and you know get yards um, where you might not expect them. So it's definitely you know we want guys attacking the line of scrimmage as as always, and we always want to be able to make plays in the backfield. But at the same time, um, you got to be patient. You know, if you're if you're on the backside of a run or um, you know, if you're filling, you know, a backside cutback gap, you gotta you gotta be pretty sharp and make sure that, you know, you don't overrun him because he can he can cut it all the way back and you know take it to the house that way. So yeah, I'm gonna bring this back then to a prior question that I had because you talk about trying to you know get off blocks and have everybody get to the ball, but if you're that backside guy, maybe you don't want to be super aggressive and try to go around your block to get to the ball right because then you're leaving a gap that he can maybe find. Right. right. No, without a doubt. Yeah, that's definitely you know something we've talked about and. Um, you know, it's just about being patient and being smart and, and knowing the runner. I liked your answer about trying to fill windows in, in the past game a little bit. You know, DK Metcalf's a large human being. <laughs> he, <laughs> he, he probably weighs as much as you do as a wide receiver, Without right? A doubt, yeah. He's huge. So he runs those slants. You know, he tries to use those big body to make those plays. Tyler Lockett likes to run those little shallow crosses and stuff. As a linebacker, what are some things you can kind of look for on tape for, for hints or clues on route patterns and stuff like that where you can get in some of those lanes so Gino has to maybe hitch one or twice on some of those quick throws over the middle where he has to hold it, and that maybe allows you to get a sack. Yeah, I think the biggest thing for a linebacker is just, um, you know, first off, getting depth and being able to get depth so you can have vision on the routes that, that uh, come out. And then, obviously, have your eyes right. You know, take your take your eyes to the routes so you can see um, what's behind you first and then, you know, be able to play uh, the routes in front of you from there. So, um, yeah, definitely an important part of our game this week and something we definitely got to lock in and hone in on this week. So, um, you know, excited for that opportunity. Final question. Uh, their offensive line is a mess. They've had a bunch of injuries. Guys are in and out. I don't think we even know on this recording on Thursday who's going to play in this game on Monday night. So is it hard for you to, to scout necessarily individuals then when you look at the offensive line? Are you looking more at the unit as a whole and their scheme? How do you do that when you're maybe not sure who's going to be where at any given game when you're facing an offensive line like that? Yeah, without a doubt. I mean, I think, you know, you kind of look at them as a whole and, and see where we can attack them that way and, um, you know, draw up things to, to win um, and, and have our best players win. And I think that's what it's going to come down to is, is just, you know, creating one-on-one matchups for our dogs up front and, um, you know, filling and blitzing when we when we have the opportunity on the back end but yeah it's definitely um you know attack the line of scrimmage and and get after them when they're in that pass game you, know, you mentioned kenneth walker i imagine you also faced jackson swift and jigba at some point right in I your did. college career yeah paying the butt right good player yeah no without a doubt for sure yeah he always went he always you know had pretty good games against us and it wasn't just you guys by the way yeah no no he yeah it was like every week that guy was going off so he's a great player Micah, good stuff, man. Appreciate the time. Best of luck Monday night. Appreciate it. You're ready for a change. Payday comes early with citizens. So go to that retreat. New you moves to the country. Now you're raising goats and launching a lifestyle brand. Are you ready for all that life brings? We thank Micah McFadden for joining us. The Giants Huddle Podcast is brought to you by Citizens, the official bank of the New York Giants. From game day to every day, Citizens is made ready for Giants fans with insights, guidance, and solutions. Learn more at citizensbank.com. All right, now we turn our attention to the opponent this week. Our very own Lance Meadow had a chance to talk to Seahawks radio analyst Dave Wyman. The Giants and Seahawks collide for the second straight season after they met in Seattle in Week 8 last year. This time around, it's in East Rutherford, New Jersey on Monday Night Football. And to help break down what to expect from the Seahawks, we're now joined by their radio color analyst who played nine seasons in the NFL as a linebacker for Seattle and Denver, none other than Dave Wyman. 
Dave, you got Lance Meadow here on Giants.com. Appreciate the time today. Hope all is well. How's everything on your end? Everything's great here, Lance. Yeah, we uh, had a good home win last week. Uh, Mariners are struggling a little bit out here oh. in Seattle, but yeah, there's lots to be uh, to be happy about out here in Seattle. Absolutely. So let's jump into the Seahawks. And one of the biggest storylines last season, Dave, was Geno Smith, who won Comeback Player of the Year. Very impressive and efficient campaign. And it seems as if you look at the numbers, you look at the production. I know it was a tale of two halves a bit against Carolina, but how fair is it to say that he's essentially picked up where he's left off within this Shane Waldron offense? Yeah, coming into the season, I thought it was reasonable to question whether or not Geno would have that kind of year given that, you know, the first part of his career told a different story. But he has just grown into being a starting quarterback. You know, everybody's on their own schedule, took him a little bit of time, but he's just so composed and, and poised. And I think for Gino, one of the things that is a big challenge for him is that, you know, he's got he's kind of a fiery guy. He, he's got a temper and he has been able to to be, you know, to calm himself down. And, you know, you mentioned the first half, they couldn't get anything going. They got sacked twice. Uh, Gino threw an interception, which was his first one. And then the second half, they just, you know, bided their time and they were able to, to get the offense going. And all of this with a, really a bunch of backups at offensive line against a really good front seven in Carolina. Um, and so, uh, yeah, I think at one point there were four backups on the offensive line when Damian Lewis got hurt. So uh, only Evan Brown was the, the consistent starter the entire time. So to be able to get that going in the second half, kind of hanging in there with the offense, I thought that's – they didn't do anything different. I think they just stayed at it, and then they started to, to you know, get some touchdowns. And a lot of it had to do with Geno and his composure. Dave, I'm glad you brought up the game of musical chairs, as I like to call it, on the offensive line, because that's essentially what Seattle has been going through, because Giants fans can relate. They've been down Andrew Thomas. They've been down Ben Bredesen, their entire left side of the offensive line for these last two games, yet the production has suffered and struggled as a result. But as you just mentioned, the Seahawks' production has pretty much stayed steady. What do you attribute? to why they've been able to overcome offensive line issues, which is not easy for most teams in the NFL. Well, you know, the older I get, the more I appreciate coaching. And, and you know, that I, sure. I think Shane Waldron, the, you know, the second year guy uh, as you know, running the offense and then Andy Dickerson coaching the offensive line. I think they've just been well coached. And uh, yeah. And, and Shane Waldron's starting to get kind of in a flow with, with play calling and, even though they had all those backups in there, they had some fairly complex formations and motions and things like that. So, yeah, I attribute that to, to coaching and then Gino's leadership, really. And, you know, everybody just raves about Gino. Now, he's a very quiet guy. I don't think I've ever talked to Gino. He just is he's a very <laughs> quiet dude, and he's just very focused. And I thought he his leadership really, um, you know, really showed up out there, especially in the second half when they, you know, just stayed with it. Because, you know, if you're a starting quarterback and, you know, you're only getting field goals in the first half and you've got this backup offensive line and you've got a rookie at running back in Zach Charbonnet, a second-year guy in Walker, I could see where you would kind of lose faith. But, you know, they I, I don't think it was some big halftime adjustment. I think it was just sticking with the plan and, you know, just trusting the coaching. 
you mentioned the two running backs and they really bring something different to the table. Each one of them, Walker already has four rushing touchdowns in three games. And we saw what Charbonnet could do. He ran over a few Carolina Panthers right near the goal line in the game against the Panthers. So clearly he's been showing his effectiveness and he showed up immediately. How much have they played into the skill sets of those two? And how much do they complement one another in terms of really the physicality and power, Dave, that they bring to the table? Yeah. And actually Ken Walker is pretty powerful too. I mean, he can, he can run guys over, but you know, I've, I've talked to a, a lot of the running backs having been a linebacker in the league and, and told them, Hey, if you run a guy over, and and one of the he actually Zach Charbonnet ran two guys over. One was a penalty, so it didn't count. But that film still that still happened. <laughs> that film still goes around the league. Sure. And so if you're a linebacker or a defensive back, you have those two guys coming at you. You don't know if they're going to run over you or they're going to put a move on you. And I think you know the difference between them is that you know it's kind of thunder and lightning a little bit. Charbonnet is is he's got some shape though, but he will run you over, and I, I love that. And then Ken Walker. He's more of a kind of a jitterbug. I mean, a lot of times Rabel and I will think, you know, we were talking about this the other day calling the game that um, there was a couple of times where you're like, oh, don't do that. No, you got to go north or south. And then all of a sudden he makes it work out. He, he breaks outside. And so kind of learning to trust him that but there's lots of times where he'll stop in the backfield and he's still moving his feet. But Walker is, you know, trying to find lanes there. And a lot of times you get tackled for a one-yard gain or a, a, a loss, and he hasn't really had that happen. So kind of trusting him a little bit. And then Charbonnet is just getting going. So, yeah, we'll see what those two young guys – I love that they're young guys. I love that they, you know, spent second-round draft choices on them. And, you know, it's I, I think that's the way to go at running back. One of the major issues for the Giants thus far over the first three games, Dave, has been missed tackles. They actually have 17 missed tackles on just run plays, according to Pro Football Focus. The reason I bring that up, and that's why I'm curious your perspective about maybe how Seattle can play off of that, is given the power and elusiveness of the two backs you just mentioned, that I'll even throw in DK Metcalf, who you know is also very good at shedding tacklers. How much of a problem do you think this could be for a Giants defense that – is having some issues in the early stage of the season, wrapping up guys and bringing them down based on the skill set of those three guys in particular. Yeah, well, I mean, DK, again, yeah, just he's just a, a freakish athlete. Uh, I know that gets said a lot, but um, I really like his demeanor too. I mean, he does get in some trouble every once in a while, but yeah, that physicality, I think, really it gets under the skin of opposing defensive backs. And then you got Tyler Lockett, who is just really shifty and, always seems to find, you know, the open part of the zone. So I really like their offense right now and what's going on. The other thing is their tight ends. Colby Parkinson, a kid out of Stanford who really was like a, a big, tall, wide receiver, has developed into a good blocking tight end. And they have a free tight end package where they're they're out there with those. And they're helping out a little bit with the, the backup tackle, Stone Forsyth and Jake Kern, as far as blocking goes. of give a little chip block before they go out into their route. So, yeah, there's lots of uh, lots of weapons for Geno. You know, I really like the tight end group with Will Disley, and they didn't have him last week. But him, Noah Fant, and Colby Parkinson, uh, I think they have 23 targets and 19 catches. So those are nice, easy throws. Plus, you get, you know, the, a formation where it looks like, you know, you could run the ball. And then, uh, yeah, the, the big 
physicality of DK Metcalf, the two running backs. I think, again, I think they're in a good spot. We're talking with Dave Wyman, Seahawks radio color analyst, as the Seahawks and the Giants will go head-to-head on Monday Night Football. You brought up targets. We haven't mentioned Jackson Smith and Jigba, who was their first-round pick this year. And based on the numbers, 14 targets, nine receptions. Dave, I was listening to Pete Carroll speak the other day, and he mentioned, listen, they just have not had an opportunity to get him involved as much as maybe they had anticipated. So what have been the early takeaways of him, and how much more do you think they'll expand perhaps his usage here. Yeah, I'm glad you brought him up because I kind of forgot about him, right? <laughs> I mean, the number 20 pick, and they haven't really cracked him open yet. I mean, it's not like he's gotten a ton of targets or anything. And um, and I think, you know, he talked the other day about uh, kind of a little bit of the, the frustration of, you know, wanting to get going. He feels like he hasn't really gotten a rhythm. But yeah, they haven't even, haven't even really thrown the ball to him that much. So, you know, with all those other weapons. And Gino... Yeah, there's a clip somewhere where he's talking to JSN on the sidelines and saying, hey, just be patient, which really exhibits Gino's leadership, you know, but um, yeah, he, I think he'll get going at some point, you know, and that, that's kind of like that last year. I think it took Ken Walker a while to get going, and then he had four or five, he had a game against the Chargers, ran for over 167 yards, and I think that was like game six, seven down the road, so I kind of see JSN, uh, him developing that way. I think, you know, they've got a lot of good rookies, Charbonnet being one of them, um, and JSN and Devin Witherspoon as well. And I think it's not going to be like last year where like Reek Willen and Kobe Bryant started the first game as rookies. I think this group, it's just a little bit harder to get on the field because John Schneider has been building such a great team. So I think there's good things ahead for uh, Jackson Smith and Jigba, but it's just going to take a little bit of time. Good problem to have when you're trying to find ways to get your first round pick on the field. And that's not necessarily the primary conversation starter on offense. You referenced the corners and I want to flip the script to the defensive side of the ball, Dave, because not that numbers tell the whole story, but I think you could add the proper context. They're 31st against the pass. They've given up a lot of explosive plays. However, They've been banged up on the back end. Jamal Adams has yet to make his season debut. You mentioned Reek Woolen and Kobe Bryant, who did not play last week against the Panthers. I guess what I'm getting at is how much are the passing defense numbers not great as a result of being down key personnel over these last few games here? Yeah, it's interesting because that was the one part of the defense that they really repaired over last year. Um, yeah. They the, two years in a row under Ken Norton, the uh, the past numbers they were number thirty one in the league, and last year they they finished number thirteen. So there was a huge repair as far as passing yards given up. The problem last year was running yards, and they were terrible. Um, but now they're really good against the run. They can't really stop the pass. So you know there's a guy named Carl Scott who runs the the pass game defense. And he just is a brilliant guy. I think they'll get it fixed. But, yeah, it's, it's just kind of a weird flop, you know, where really good against the run now and and not so great against the pass. And I think a lot of it has to do with the way that they're running their zone defense. You know, and look, people have been running zone defense since when I played and before that. And it's just a matter of executing it and being a little bit stickier, I think. I think also I see the linebackers not dropping the – 10 to 12 yards, they're dropping to five yards. So there's a lot of crossing patterns open. So 
I think they'll get that fixed. But as far as, you know, the the injuries and things like that, yeah. I mean, Devin Witherspoon didn't play a whole lot. Boy, that kid has incredible uh, confidence. And, you know, he's just very certain about what he does on the field. And, and defensive back-wise, he's got like 10 guys who are very versatile, including Jamal Adams. Uh, Witherspoon can play inside and out. Kobe Bryant can play inside and out. Uh, Julian Love and, and Quandre Diggs. I mean, it, there's a lot of versatility there, but they've got 10 guys that are really good players, including big play Trey Brown, who, who got a concussion last week. You know, he, he made three huge plays against Detroit on the road. So they've got the, the right personnel. I just think it's a, a matter of, you know, if I could just identify one thing, it would be zone defense. Zone defense, you can't just cover a patch of grass. You've got to look, you know, receivers up. And I think that's been the, the biggest challenge for them, which I think they'll get it right. We were talking about Jamal Adams, and I mentioned he has yet to play because of that torn quad tendon he suffered in week one. What impact, Dave, do you expect him to make on Monday night? Are they going to give him his typical playing time? You think they're going to ease him in? And also just the raw emotion of him, A, returning to MetLife Stadium, given he started his career with the Jets, and B, you know, not wanting to overdo it so much, given it's been quite some time since he's been back on the field. Yeah, I, I think I think they're going to ease him back in. And like I mentioned, they have so many different packages and guys that can play different spots that it'll kind of fit into the way they want to work Jamal back in. He's a fantastic football player. I mean, if, if he if we get the 2020 version of him, and there's been lots of talk, I know, on my radio show, people are like, he's a bust. You know, that was a, a terrible trade. I don't think you're a bust if it ends up being because you're injured. He's just been hurt. Um, but yeah, yeah. the way to use him is up in the line of scrimmage, almost like a linebacker. That's what they did in 2020. His, his best skill is not dropping back into a deep zone. It's being up near the line of scrimmage. He's he's very violent with his hands, like the way he chucks blocks and things like that. He's like a linebacker. So, But I do think they're going to kind of slowly work him back in because, you know, he's, he's a key part of what they could do. They could be so much better on defense with Jamal Adams. And, um, you know, he's just been unavailable. I feel like he's one of those guys that, uh, I, I feel like his body isn't strong enough to support the things that he thinks. Like he, the way <laughs> he reacts and he, he wants to make certain plays and it's like his body just doesn't, doesn't stand up to it. So hopefully he's ready to go because he, he would be a huge shot in the arm if they're able to get him back playing all the time. Well, he plays with a physicality to your point, and he's got quite the motor. So sometimes the body doesn't cooperate based on the X's and O's right. mindset. I, I think that's a great point. Now, it's also a homecoming for Julian Love, who you brought up. Giants fans are very familiar with him. He was a versatile play in the secondary. I know the sample size is still small, Dave, but how have they tried to tap into his skill set as both a corner and a safety? And what's jumped out to you about his usage thus far? Yeah, you know, he had such a breakout year last year there in, in New York. And, you know, and he kind of you know expressed to us that he was sitting behind some pretty good players the first couple of years. But they really like him. Uh, he's very versatile. He hasn't had he hasn't had a, a great year so far, um, but I think he, he looks very promising. I'm really looking forward to when he and Jamal Adams play together. And there's been a lot of talk about that, that maybe that will kind of get him going. And it's not like he's played poorly. It's just that, you know, I kind of, I thought he, he would have a kind of a, 
a breakout year like he did last year and it hasn't quite been that way but you know he's just a very smart player and yeah it's 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 kind of kind of like the rest of the defense as far as pass coverage go goes it's uh, it's just going to take a little bit of time for them to get into a, a rhythm now, as I referenced earlier, the Giants have had some movable parts in their offensive line, and Daniel Jones has been under a lot of pressure. We talked about the struggles on the back end of the Seahawks defense, but the front end has been very stingy against the run. And Jaron Reed is a guy that I think is a bit underrated, Dave, because, I mean, it's not that far removed from he had double-digit sacks one season, and then I know obviously he had to deal with some suspensions. But what's the pass rush been like for the Seahawks based on the first few games and how much of a challenge do you think that front poses for a Giants offensive line that has some question marks right now? Yeah, well, you identified the guy, Lance. I mean, Jaron Reed's been everything for that that front seven. Uh, you know, Bobby Wagner, you could argue as well. And Jordan Brooks is playing really well against the run. But yeah, Jaron Reed, you know, they're lining him up inside. Uh, he can rush from the outside. He's very quick. And he has just been homewrecker inside there. So yeah, that, that's been a big part of why they have, I think they're still 2.9 per attempt, or maybe it's creeped up to three as far as uh, the, the run game goes. But he has been uh, just very surprising. You know, I didn't I didn't think they were going to get that out of Jaron Reed, and he's having a great year. Um, you know, he's blocked a kick. He's got a sack and a half. He's got, you know, fumble recovery. I mean, it, he's just been all over the field. Yeah, he's a key on that defense, and He's got kind of a kind of a crabby disposition, which I really like about that, and uh, he, you know, about him. And he's, yeah, he's been a great leader, and so it's really nice having him back. He really shouldn't have, you know, left in the first place. They, the Seahawks made him a really good deal, but he wanted to go somewhere else. He was in Kansas City for a while, but now he's back, and he's been a key to what they've been doing. Uh, they're starting to get the pass rush going a little bit, and then also just uh, against the run. I mean, they just got trucked last year i mean they could not stop there. there were times where they just could not stop the run at all you know they gave up 222 yards to carolina last year uh, the raiders came in here and ran all over him so he's been a big part of that uh, that uh, fix that repair yeah one of their best rush defensive performances actually was against the giants when the giants visited the emerald city they did a nice yeah. job containing daniel jones and saquon barkley it'll be interested to see whether or not of course saquon plays the other thing that's brought up dave in a matchup like this with seattle coming to the east coast and you've been involved in these trips multiple times is what type of an impact that has but i think of this is a monday night game it's much later in the day it's not an early sunday start how much of anything do you think that plays a role given the lengthy trip that the Seahawks have to entail here? Well, I, I used to always say that, like, when, when I played, I don't remember it being a thing. It's like, you know, what time is it back in Seattle? I don't know. I just know it's kickoff here, you know. Uh, so to me, I don't think it was ever a big deal. But there was a time early on in Pete and John's career here where uh, the East Coast games were a real struggle. And I... I wish I had the numbers for you, but they have done an amazing job with uh, going three time zones away or four, I should say. Um, you know, so uh, they, they've, that's not really been a problem at all. They've handled that really well. And most of it is Pete, just the way that, you know, he's very structured, you know, and I ride on the team plane and there's a, you know, there's a little reminder in your seat pocket that, you know, this is how you should hydrate. 
don't sleep on the plane, wait until you get there. I mean, they planned all that stuff out. And and Pete has a whole bunch of nutrition people and, you know, the, the masseuses come on the road. I mean, they, they really do it right. So I think a lot of that is coaching and, you know, just, uh, and Pete just preparing his team really well. They do a great job. Dave, before I let you go, from a big picture perspective, you look at the Seahawks' three games. The first game wasn't pretty against the Rams, but they've scored 37 points in each of the last two. We saw the rally in overtime against the Lions and the second-half explosion for 25 points against the Panthers. What are you looking back make of that Rams game? Was that the outlier and the Seahawks are more of the team we saw in the last two, or it's still too early in your mind to really assess where this team lies? I am still, Lance, totally confused by that game. It was, <laughs> it was, it was just so strange. And I guess the bad news is it kind of came away thinking, do the Rams have our number? Because it's always been difficult. And uh, you know, with with Sean McVay. So, yeah, I don't know. I don't know what to, how to think about that one. It was they couldn't get any pressure. I felt like for Matthew Stafford, it was like running seven on seven. There was never anybody in his face. He had big, wide, open lanes. Um, the the defense was as bad as it's been in zone coverage. They had a rookie, uh, is it Puka Nakua? I think is his name. He came in and he yep. had yeah. a huge day. So, yeah, it's uh, it it was confusing. It really was. And they played so much better the next week in Detroit. You know, they still gave up lots of yardage, but they took the ball away. So, yeah, they went plus three in that game. And as far as turnover ratio goes, the offense is really doing their job because I think Gino has the only giveaway. So, yeah, um, yeah. yeah it's uh, it, it, it was just totally bizarre. Like, to the point where I'm like, I can't wait to see what happens the next time we play the Rams. I mean, we'll see where they are as far as health and things like that. But, yeah, it's and that one's always, you know, in those division matchups, it's, it's always kind of uh, – there's one team that's kind of a thorn in your side. And I feel like now the, the Niners are really, really good. So when you lose to the Niners, you kind of get it. But the Rams, I mean, they had a ton of young guys. And, um, you know, it just didn't look like they were put together. And and Pete was really uh, remorseful about that. Like he was apologizing to the fans because uh, the opener and the place was packed. And when they introduced Bobby Wagner, the whole place went nuts. And then, like Pete said, we didn't deliver. And so he was kind of worried about, you know, not not satisfying the fans because they were so good that day. And he certainly paid them off against Carolina because they had the eight false starts and the crowd was a huge part of it. But I thought it was funny that he, he was concerned that everybody was so fired up and it was such a flat game. You know, they just didn't get it done against the Rams. Like I said, just confusing. Well, to your point, the 12s definitely showed up with those eight false starts. I'm sure Carolina was very excited to leave Seattle after a rough yeah. game like that in terms of the penalties. It's Monday Night Football, Giants, Seahawks. He's Dave Wyman, the Seahawks radio analyst, who you can hear on the Seahawks radio network. Dave, it's always a blast catching up with you. Greatly appreciate the time and the inside and look forward to Monday's game. All right. Thanks, Lance. Hope to see you there in New York. Absolutely. My pleasure. You love turf. You're good at it. So you start a turf biz. Business grows, your savings grow. Become the most celebrated name in turf. Are you ready for all that life brings?
Thank you, Lance. Thank you, Dave. Giant fans love a winner. It's why they love Citizens, named the 2022 Best Bank in the U.S. by The Banker. As the official bank of the Giants and sponsor of the huddle, Citizens is made ready for fans of Big Blue. Learn more at citizensbank.com. Now we turn our attention to the head coach of the Giants, the voice of the Giants, Bob Papa, had a chance to talk to Brian Dable. And as always, we're joined by the head coach of the New York Giants, Brian Dable, where Monday Night Football has the Giants hosting the Seattle Seahawks. And, Coach, you had a chance to play these guys last year. Obviously, uh, it was a hard-fought game in Seattle. What makes these Pete Carroll teams so difficult to deal with? Yeah, I think Pete's an outstanding coach, and he's been successful for a long time as a head coach in this league and in college. Um, and they're well-prepared. They do a good job with the ball security. Um, their defenses are fast and create multiple problems up front. They got two good corners, younger corners. They got a good runner. They got good receivers. And the quarterback, you know, has really fit into this system well and has done a great job of execution. As you look at Geno Smith and you prepare for him for tonight's football game, if you go back to the start of last year, I mean, he's played lights out, 34 touchdowns, 12 interceptions. What is it about his game that makes him effective, especially operating in this system? Yeah, it looks like he's got firm grasp of it and control of it. Uh, he's an accurate passer. He knows you know, when to take his checkdowns. He knows when to go ahead and take his shots. He makes good decisions in situational football, and he, and he delivers the ball to his playmakers uh, on a timely fashion. So he's done a really good job uh, with his opportunity that he's had there at, at Seattle, uh, and he's playing good football. Metcalf is obviously a very physical receiver. He's led their team in receiving yards in the first three games. Um, you know, you, you had a chance to go against Debo Samuel uh, in your last game. Metcalf is a guy that likes to use his body. What are, what are some of the talking points that you use with your players in trying to defend a guy that's as physical as Metcalf? Hey, he's physical and he's fast. He's, you know, he's, got, he's big, he's strong, and he's fast. So it's going to take all hands on deck. Um, to cover this guy, and I would say, you know, Lockett is is a, a very, very good receiver um, and very productive. They have a good mix of, you know, quickness, size, strength, and then you add Jackson to the mix, who is very productive at Ohio State. It's a, a very good receiving group. Yeah, and I, I would think that, right, being alert, I mean, there's death taxes and Tyler Lockett going deep on a shot at some point. They did, they did it with Russell Wilson, and they seem to kind of be doing the same thing with Geno Smith. Is, is, that, is that a fair assessment when you think about Lockett? Yeah, I think it's, it's, it's more about Lockett than it is who's throwing it to him. Uh, he's just a, he's a great route runner. He's very savvy. He's got excellent speed. Um, he knows how to set defenders up, and he's been productive for a long time. I think Kenneth Walker brings a, a physical component to the run game. Um, you know, just talk about what they try to do running the football. Is it is it an intricate run system, or is it like, hey, this is what we're doing, and we dare you to stop it? Yeah, I think every team has a, a variety of runs. They, you know, they run outside zone uh, quite a bit, but he's uh, he can run any of the runs. You know, he's an uh, exceptional player at Michigan State, you know, transfer from Wake and productive there then he goes to Michigan State and that's really where he you know kind of took off and you know he was a fun player to evaluate in college um, very very productive can run any run uh, that you ask him to run he, he can bounce it he can cut it back he can stick it in there um, you know he's a heck of a football player uh, and a guy that we're gonna have to do a good job of you know setting edges and, and tackling and rallying to the ball with and you know Charbonnet is a, a young um, rookie player from UCLA who's a big body guy too who they'll give the ball to they um, they have a good they have very good skill players 
Let's talk about your football team as we get ready for this game. Chance to sort of reset, having played that Thursday night game, a little bit of a reboot for your team. Uh, were you impressed with the way the guys came back uh, with a little bit of time off to kind of reset and focus on the fact that there's 14 games left in the season. There's a lot of football to be played. Yeah, I mean, our focus is, as you know, one week at a time. So put everything you got into to <clears throat> Seattle. You know, we have a, you know, a bunch of guys that are pros that do the right thing, that prepare well, that communicate. And, um, you know, that's, that's a consistent approach that, that we'll always have. Um, so we've had, a, we've had a good week of practice. We've prepared well. Uh, we're going to have to go out there and, and play and coach well. How, how important is it too, Coach, to be, you know, physical at the point of attack, to kind of get your run game going where everything then sort of just plays off it? Yeah, I think each week is a is a different week, uh, and how the game gets played uh, is different. Um, so if you look at the three games we've played, they've all been a little bit different. You know, you're down 33 to nothing. Uh, you're gonna have to pass the ball a little bit more. So you know, being balanced is is important. But ultimately, you know, if we think it's to throw the ball a bunch, then we throw it. If it's to run it, it's run it, and it's executing whatever the plays that that we call in terms of the game plan and, and how we want to attack a team. Is this where it's important to have a quarterback that's pretty steady? And Daniel Jones' personality tends to be very steady and even keel. When you are struggling in certain parts of things and, and not able to get into that rhythm where you're not going to get these crazy frustrations? Yeah, I mean, that's the NFL. Uh, there's, you know, there's three teams right now that, that haven't had a loss. Um, so uh, you're going to face you know, adversity throughout a season, whether you're, it's the early part, the middle part, the end part. And it's important, I think, for everybody to stay level-headed, to work on the things that we can work on, uh, and to improve you know, throughout the week and then ultimately on, on game day. But um, you, know, you have to focus on the things you can focus on and control, which is, is just this week, and you know, try to do the best you can getting ready to play this game. Coach, we appreciate a couple of minutes. Best of luck tonight, as always. Thanks, Bob. Appreciate it. We thank Coach, we thank Bob, Lance, Dave, and of course Micah for joining us today on the Giants Huddle Podcast. I am John Schmelk. Thanks so much for being with us. Don't forget, you can find the Giants Huddle Podcast on your favorite podcast platforms, giants.com slash podcast, or just go to the Giants app.